Those Space People is a podcast series of casual cosmic conversations with people working on exciting space projects. Today we have Christian Willigis, uh, who is a new space consultant based in Berlin, Germany. He had co-founded the new space company Constellar and had previously worked with the German Aerospace Center DLR. And he also has a background in laser and opto technologies. Welcome to the show, Christian. Thanks for joining us. Roger, thank you very much for having me, especially on this very day. It's uh, 1st of January 2021, so a splendid way to, to, to start a new year, to be, to be your, your uh, guest on a podcast. And uh, I have to admit, it's the very first podcast that I am invited to. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, about your time at DLR, and then what led you to founding Constellar? So my background, I really have to reach out quite, quite, quite long in time. I was always interested in photography. So this was uh, already as a teenager, it was uh, one of my hobbies. And um, so I started an apprenticeship, like really, it was, I think it was around the year 2000. So like 20 years ago in a year in a high-end photo photo laboratory uh, back in Dusseldorf in Nordrhein-Westfalia. So I, I worked there for, for, for quite some years, um, but at the end I realized, okay, maybe there's, there's more about this uh, photography thing um, that I could achieve. So I decided to, um, to really uh, go to university. So after I already worked, I went to university. And um, yeah, as you already mentioned, I studied uh, laser and optotechnologies in the uh, University of uh, Jena, so Ernst Abbe University. This was this was quite a time, you know. I mean, it, on the one end, it was quite a decision to to move to Jena before, because it's on the other side of the country. Yeah, so I moved really to the to the eastern part of, of uh, Germany. A lot of my friends said, "Okay, what, what, what are you going to do there? <laughs> There's basically nothing." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. It's not nothing there in Jena." they invented optics. So if I want to study optics, I should go there. And uh, yeah, I never regretted this decision. It's, uh, it was really a, a fantastic time that I had there. So the, the university I've been, it is rather small, or let's say the, the, uh, the field of studies is, is rather small, uh, the department. Um, we've been like only like, we started with 50 people and uh, all very nerdy and everyone was into laser and stuff like this. <laughs> so this was really, really a cool time. And uh, yeah, after, after like uh, six years, mm, I thought, okay, I had some, some research projects here and there. And I thought, okay, I, I'm not only interested in photography, but also in, in not only in imagery, um, but also in space. So let's see where, where, where I can combine these two fields of, of interest of mine. So I did some research and realized that uh, in Berlin, where I live actually right now, there is the Institute of Optical Sensor Systems from German Aerospace Center. And uh, yeah, uh, I sent an application if I could my master thesis do there. And uh, like uh, it was it was on a, on a random Wednesday evening, like, I don't know, maybe half past eight or something like this. And like five minutes later, <laughs> I received an answer from my then future boss uh, who said, oh yeah, that's cool. Uh, I read the application. It looks very nice. Can we, can we have a phone call? And I said, oh, 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 oh this, this is too quick. <laughs> this, was, this was too fast. <laughs> okay. I didn't expect such a quick reaction. Um, and I said, okay, maybe two days so that I have some, some, some kind of preparation. And uh, yeah, basically that, uh, that was the start of, of my space career. Um, a prompt reply from my, from my future boss. And I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks later, I've, I've been in Berlin and started my master thesis. It was about uh, high resolution satellite cameras and the uh, autonomous refocusing mechanism that I spent uh, my first year on. And uh, yeah, right afterwards I was hired at DLR and I started as an, as 
as an, basically as an optical engineer and uh, developed over over like actually very quickly into into some kind of management position. So first starting with the AIT management, so assembly integration testing um, for the DESIS project. DESIS is quite an interesting project. Um, it's a collaboration between uh, Teledyne Brown Engineering from um, from the US and uh, and the German Aerospace Center. It's a hyperspectral instrument. Um, that is now attached to the ISS, so it, it's, its purpose is uh, Earth observation for a variety of applications. So this, this is, I started there also as, a, as an optical engineer. I was uh, responsible on the one hand uh, for the spectrometer, on the other hand for, for the filters uh, that were needed. And then I also, I also developed myself into the AIT manager. And this was basically the start when I realized, okay, this, this management stuff is, is quite something for me. I, I liked it much, much more than, than being in the laboratory, I have to admit. I know there are not too many, too many guys <laughs> who say this, um, but, but really it's, it's, uh, it's more the, the organizational uh, part of the work that, um, that catches me. So and then, yeah, quite, quite quickly, my, my, my boss realized that uh, I'm doing a good jo job there on the, on the management side. And um, this, was, this was also the time when Airbus approached DLR um, if they could run the verification campaign. So the radiometric uh, verification campaign for the Sentinel-4 uh, focal plane subsystem at DLR. So because we at DLR, we have the, we have the laboratory space for it. We have the illumination sources for it, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the thermal vacuum chambers and all, and all, these, all these testing stuff. So we had the, the, the capabilities from, from a laborative point of view, but he was missing a project manager. And he asked me, okay, do you think you could, you could do it? And I said, wow, that's a big opportunity. Okay, of course I want to do it. So, I mean, just imagine I was, I was still, I was feeling very fresh. I think it was my, maybe my, my third or fourth, fourth year at, uh, at DLR. And to be assigned to to, to such a project um, to really work for for the Copernicus program of the of the European Union was really something wow! wow, wow. So I was so proud that he asked me, and uh, of course I, I I took the job, I took the opportunity. Yeah, this was really my first assignment as a project manager. Uh, it went quite well. So we we met the objectives in in time, and uh, we delivered on time. And we had a very very successful uh, successful uh, test campaign. And yeah, so then the next thing uh, rang the bell. So it was for for the Korean Aerospace Research Institute, CARI. It was uh, the day they wanted to develop the the, the next camera for their Comsat Seven satellite. And uh, so our institute has, has quite a long heritage with uh, with CARI. So we already developed the the focal plane system for the Comsat three satellite. That's that's a high resolution satellite in the more or less individual range, uh, with like a fifty centimeter resolution. And so now they 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 wanted for the next generation for the Comsat seven. And uh, so my boss again approached me and said, "Okay, <laughs> again we are missing a project manager. <laughs> what about you?" And I said, "Okay." That's the thing. Um, of course, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah, so this, this was really the biggest project at this moment that the Institute ever, ever had. Also for me, of course, the, the biggest project that I could ever lead. And this was really quite an adventure because uh, now I had a team of like more than 20 engineers from different departments with different backgrounds, like from electronics, mechanics, software. This was really quite something to juggle all these different types of tasks, of personalities, of backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. But it was quite good. I mean, it helped me to develop, to, to get a feeling of what is needed, what is important on how to, how to steer projects uh, through all these uncertainties that you would have during a, de a development project. This was quite good. Yeah, so this was uh, basically how I entered DLR and uh, what I did there.
So did you have any project management training during your time as a project manager or did you just pick up the tropes as you went? <laughs> I mean, uh, DLR is, they are a big institution. So they have a very advanced training program for like their employees. So whatever you're interested in, basically. So from, from what field ever you are, like from engineering or from project management or from controlling or whatever, they have specific uh, training programs that you, that you can, um, that you can attend to, to really develop yourself in a, in a professional way. And of course, this is something that I did because uh, I thought, okay, this is absolutely mandatory to do so. But it was also a lot of learning along the road. Yeah, because uh, whatever you learn on in a theoretical course, I had the impression you can really, you can just put it into the bin like after, after like two days in, in a real life in a project because nothing goes as planned. Um, so there's there's really really a lot of learning along the uh, along the road. It's it's um, nothing beats the, the the personal experience that you that you that you have. Yeah. So so really it it, it was a combination of both. Yeah. The theoretical background, but also um, learning by doing. So then, was it your entrepreneurial spirit, rather should I say, your managerial spirit that led you to form Constellar, or how did that start about? How did it start about? This is uh, this is also quite a, quite an interesting story. It started, I think, it was the year two thousand sixteen, maybe. Let's let's pretend it was the year two thousand sixteen, when I when I attended a seminar for space optics from ESA. Yeah, so it's it's a one week seminar on Sardinia. And I can really recommend the, the seminar. I, I, I don't know exactly the name, but if you Google ESAR space optics uh, seminar, something like this, yeah. then you will you will find it. It is extremely good. ESA did a great job in, in really picking the, the, the right uh, people, um, talking about uh, very, very different aspects of, of space optics. So I asked my, my, my boss back in this time, okay, this is, this is quite an interesting seminar. Could I, could I please attend it? Thankfully, he said he, he, he approved it. And so I went to Sardinia and this is where I met Max, Max Gulder, uh, also one of the co-founders of Constellar. And uh, we had uh, we had quite some time there. So it was, I mean, on the one hand, it was uh, it was the professional seminars that we could attend. This was quite interesting. But also we we really developed a very good personal relationship. And uh, also after the seminar was over and we went back, uh, he's, he's from Freiburg. So in the really in the in the completely different part of Germany, in the very, very southwest of Germany, uh, where I lived in the in the northeast of Germany. Uh, whenever we've been somehow close to each other, we, we, we just met for an hour or something and then shared a pizza and just talked about our, our uh, ongoing project and so on. And it was like maybe oh, 2018. Yeah, it, it must have been mid of, mid of 2018. So a little bit more than two years ago when, when, when he basically called me and said, okay, I have this interesting idea. So my institute is, is, is going. So he's, he's working at, at Fraunhofer EMI in, in Freiburg. Uh, and he said, my institute is, is, going into into this new space sector so and wants to develop um or is already developing uh cubesats and uh, so dlr my institute institute of optical sensor systems was more into this this classic space domain so these these large institutional uh satellite component components that, that really cost a couple of million dollars or euros and he said okay maybe we we should try to to bring our institutes together yeah, to to um, to really to to develop something new. So his idea was basically um, to 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 bring the thermal infrared on a, on a small cubesat. Uh, what was what did not have happened before? Um, so we tried a couple of months to to bring our institutes together. But as you can imagine, institutes are sometimes very slow. 
<laughs> I don't want to complain about institutional life yet. <laughs> it was uh, if, you, if, if you really have to have this drive that you think, okay, guys, that's 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 a slow. And then so one 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 day he said, okay, come on, let's let's just do it by, our, by ourselves. And this this was the moment when. Um, yeah, when we uh, when we really started to work on this idea of, of Constellar, back back then it was not called Constellar but Thermi, so Thermi, <laughs> quite a quite a cute name that we, that we quickly uh, agreed to that we have to change it because it was just too cute for a market. <laughs> so then, uh, so he already had a colleague at at uh, at his throne of institute, uh, Marius. He was also on board, and then uh, during one of the um, as they are from Fraunhofer. Um, Fraunhofer has, has a very, very advanced program for like spin-offs. Yeah, for, let's say for, for, for spin-offs uh, or for startups. It's called uh, Fraunhofer Venture, so the department, and they have the AHEAD program. And uh, so this is, this is during the AHEAD program, we've been assigned to, to one um, yeah, business development guy, so Chris. And uh, he was also very, very fascinated by our idea. And it took him like, I think maybe 30 seconds to decide that he wanted to be on board. <laughs> maybe not even 30 seconds, maybe three nanoseconds or something like this. This, this was basically the moment when, when we've been the, the team of four. And then for, for the next uh, months and years, we tremendously worked on this idea of, of, of like putting a thermal infrared CubeSat constellation into into a low earth orbit um yeah to 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 monitor uh, our planet yeah so this this all started as a side project of our let's say real work of our full-time jobs at, at uh, dlr at fraunhofer yeah we've we've been quite successful with this we we we, we gained a grant from from uh Bundeswirtschaftsministerium, so ministry of economics yeah so what's Constellar doing now? We, we've been quite successful in, in, in getting grant. The grant helps us or helps Constellar to, to, to bring its demonstrator into a low Earth orbit. won't be on a dedicated satellite or it will be on a dedicated satellite, but it's a satellite that already exists. It's the ISS, the International Space Station that we will, uh, that we will use. So the camera will be, will be attached or the payload will be attached to the ISS. It will serve as a, as a demonstrator for the whole process of uh, taking images, pre-processing it, uh, sending it down to Earth, uh, post-process it here and uh, provide it to users. So this will be the first step yeah, of building the, the constellation. And then uh, afterward, with the help of uh, venture capital and the usual uh, financial aspects that you that you have in such a startup, the constellation will with the demonstrator as, let's say, as a, one of the, the cornerstones of, of it. How do you make a business case out of these kind of projects, monitoring or resource mapping? Who are the stakeholders? Who would want to invest in you? That's really something. How do you, how do you make a business? out of it talking 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 to people really it's 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 the only way i mean it's it's really you, you, you can read it in book and in, in books and it's it's really the way it is um you form a, hypo, a hypothesis uh what will be your your customers or what will be your use case and then you're searching for the right people who could be your customers and then you validate or invalidate your hypothesis for consular it was uh, it was uh, invalidation of our first hypothesis because we thought okay with a thermal infrared camera so the technology allows for for very high accuracy and also for for very high ground resolution um, but it also makes makes the satellite a little bit uh, larger than, than uh, usual and uh, hence also more costly. So our first approach was to really go into the fire detection market because it was already in these times when we had these annual wildfires in California, in Australia, etc., etc., in Siberia. And so this seemed to be a very, very big thing. And we thought, okay, there must be a good market for it. And uh, so we, we, we talked to all these people who might be interested, I don't know, reinsurance companies, and we tried to approach governments, et cetera, et cetera. And we realized, okay, 
there is somehow a mismatch between the market that we thought there would be and our, our technical and financial constraints that, that we would have it with, with our technology. So we realized, okay, somehow it, it, it doesn't really fit. I think it was also, it was again Max who came up with the, the idea or the, he recognized that in agriculture, thermal infrared imagery can really be a boost uh, for like gaining higher yields and, and really uh, having a more resilient and productive agriculture. Yeah, so, and then this, this was when, when we pivoted. Yeah, that's, that's something that you usually do in, in a, start, a startup, just pivoting. We actually thought about naming us the, the pivot company. <laughs> we, we just changed our business idea quite often. So, but, but uh, at the end, agriculture was, was the main market that we realized would be it. To give you an impression what thermal infrared doing there, let's say with the common earth observation systems that you have that mostly operate in the, in the visual range, yeah, you can assess the actual state of crops. Yeah, you can say, okay, I, I look down and we have maybe, I don't know, we have June, so the crop should be should be green. And I look at it uh, with my with my satellite and yes, it is green. Mm, so everything seems to be fine. Or you can say, okay, no, it's not green anymore. It's yellowish. Then you know, okay, something went wrong. And uh, so, but, but then it's usually it's too late to, to really uh, react. So to have any, any countermeasures. So, but thermal infrared imagery allows you to, to somehow have a glimpse into the future of crop health. So that means when you assess the temperature of a, of a plant, you can compare it to the temperature that it should have during uh, or according to the to the conditions there. For weather, for the time in the year, for the state, uh, status of the of plant itself. If there is a, a discrepancy between the actual measured temperature and the measure uh, and the temperature it should have, then you know, okay, something is going wrong there. So maybe the, the, the plant uh, doesn't have enough water or it has a pest or a disease or whatever. But this is date when the plant still appears to be green. So from a visual point of view, you would say, okay, everything's fine. But from the thermal infrared, from the temperature point of view, you see, okay, there's something going on. So there's something wrong. And you can investigate on it and you can take appropriate countermeasures that save the plant. So it, it doesn't it doesn't go wasted, but you really can save it. You can you can water it. You can uh, have some, some fungicides or pesticides on it to really save it. And this at the end will help to increase the yield. And this is something where we thought, okay, I mean, in like only 30 years, there will be like two or three billion more people living on this planet so we are we are facing like like having like nine billion people in the in the year 2050 living living on earth so they need food they need to be fed with our current technology it seems to be quite hard to really have these higher yields so because you cannot put just much more fertilizer on the field so it's basically at the end and what we need to do is, is to to come up with a new technology to really increase the yields and to do something for the health of the plants so we realized okay that's the technology that could do this and we talked to stakeholders from companies that are already in this field we talked to people from academia who are doing research in it and everyone was like wow you're going to bring up a thermal infrared constellation that's exactly the thing that we need and then we thought okay that's it let's focus on the um, on the agriculture market and that's where we ended up i mean there are some some side markets but but agriculture will be will be the, the main market is the instrument of constellar to be up on iss it's planned to be on the ISS by end of this year, so mm -hmm. end of uh, 2021. Then we will have the assessment of if everything works works as expected. Then afterwards, like uh, in the next years, the constellation will be built up. What form factor is the constellation right now? Because initially you wanted to put it on a satellite, but what is now the form factor? It's planned to be 16U. Recently, you've been involved with the golden records. Can you tell us more about this? 
It's a holding company for as long as I was uh, participating in Constellar. And the Golden Records, it's a nerdy joke somehow. The Golden Records refers to the two Golden Records that are attached to the two Voyager probes by NASA 40 years ago or something like this. And that left our solar system two, three, four years ago, something like this. I thought this would just be a good name for a small holding company because just like the original Golden Records, they just contain a variety of impressions of human yeah. life, of Earth, of whatever life on Earth can be. So like uh, rain and bird songs and, and songs from different cultures, etc., etc. So I thought, okay, I also have quite a variety in my background. So why, why not naming my, my, my company like this? Oh, that's very smart. It's a nerdy joke. Thanks for calling it smart. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what do you do with the Golden Records? Originally, it was only intended to be the holding company for Constellar from my side. So, but now that I dropped out of Constellar, so just at the at the moment, I am I'm just taking some time off with the family. I, I do some consulting for like also for remote sensing startup where I can just boost them a little bit with my with my expertise that I gained during the last two years at, at Constellar because they're not doing to do the same. But let's say the, the the field is close enough. I mean, remote sensing is is always more or less the same. Not really, but close enough. So I can just boost them a little bit and then guide them into the right direction. I left Constellar like in November 2020 due to family reasons, maybe to explain this a little bit, just for the last two years, I mean, I had quite a tremendous workload having my job at DLR, trying to scale up a startup in the new space industry that that's really going to run. I had like 60, 70 hours per week as a, as a workload. Then in 2020, the pandemic on top was just a little bit too much. So I decided to stop it here to, to decide for my family. We have two little kids. They really miss their father. And uh, so this is something I don't know where, where the golden records are going. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely stay in the new space industry and not sure. So at this very moment, I'm, I'm really focusing on, on family life. My family, they really did a lot for me in the last two years to really make my dream come true. Now it's really time to give back. And it's really nice to see my little son, my three-year-old son, how, how happy he reacts. And uh, when, when we are playing and everything. So this is yeah, what the Golden Records is doing at the moment. Taking, taking care of the family. Yeah, family is certainly very important, especially for someone building a company. It's also nice that you are trying to help companies through the Golden Records in your spare time. There are already a lot of remote sensing companies, right? And I'm talking about the upstream. So if you look at the upstream, we already have, for example, Planet, who's taking care of the optical. And then we have recently Capella Space, who, you know, took over the SAR completely. And then now uh, we're going to have Constellar soon <laughs> to take over the IR space. So is there... Uh, any more space left for people to come in? Where Where is innovation further needed? Where is further disruption needed? I think there is still space left. Oh, pun intended. Oh, pun unintended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, just in the visual range. I mean, you could go into higher ground resolution. Yeah, like like Maxar is doing with its, how's it called, with its Legion uh, satellites. Yeah, so I think they're aiming for like a 30 centimeter ground resolution with a, with a tasking satellite. You could go into in finer spectral resolution. I think there is uh, Cosine. I think it's uh, the startup yeah. is called Cosine. Yeah, yeah. Who are going to develop or who already developed the uh, hyperspectral instrument for a CubeSat in the visual range there is quite some space and of course i think what what we see currently with the internet satellites this will also happen with earth observation satellites here yeah, that, that every country or every region really wants to have its own satellites so that they in times of emergency that they, they really can rely on their own infrastructure i think this is something that we will see 
to make this big split, what is obvious is like China, they will most probably not buy any Earth observation imagery from a US company, but they will just build their own satellite infrastructure. And uh, most probably the same will be for the European Union and maybe for Australia. I heard that Canada, they also have their small satellite constellation that is really monitoring only Canada. So there's still a lot of space left. So this on the one hand for the upstream industry. And I mean, the same will be for the downstream industry. Because if you have all these providers of imagery, there will always be a niche where some clever guys will see, okay, if I take images from this satellite and from this satellite and combine it, then I can, I can serve a specific market. So I think there will be a lot of small companies serving on a, on a B2B basis, uh, will serve some other companies with their insights that they can gain from remote sensing. We have a lot of these companies going the full stack way, right? For example, Planet is building the satellites, operating them, also selling the products, processing the imagery and so on and so forth. So you still think that these small companies, the cleverer companies will still have a way to survive. I think so, yeah, because uh, companies like Planet or Maxar, they cannot do it all. In my opinion, it doesn't make sense for them to really go into each and every niche. So it's like at the end, they will be big companies and it will be just too high organizational uh, workload to go for this. While maybe a, a startup of like two, three persons, basically no overhead because they are operating from their garage, maybe, yeah. They can just serve these niches on a lower cost base. That's why I think there will be a lot of these small companies. And maybe at the end, they will grow bigger because they see, okay, from the one niche, we can widen up a little bit more and then transfer our own model to another region. I think a good example is LiveEO from Berlin. They started three, four years ago with two, three, four people, something like this, and then uh, restarted to serve uh, Deutsche Bahn. It was a small niche that made absolute sense to serve with the uh, Earth observation uh, imagery. Now they're expanding to the yes, and they grew like tremendously over the last few years. I think there will be quite some startups that can go the same way. How does someone get a job in this industry? What skill sets do you think they need? And secondly, if someone wants to create something in space, you know, like have a remote sensing company or remote sensing satellite company, the upstream or the downstream, what skill set do you think someone might need? Maybe to answer the second question first, there's this guy, Jeffrey Member, the founder and CEO of Nanorex, quite a big company. For example, they started business on the ISS to deploy satellites, CubeSats from the ISS. They started the first 20, 40, 50, I don't know, satellites from, from planet from the ISS. They also have this Bishop airlock and on the ISS for like experiments and stuff like this. So the founder, from his background, he has nothing to do with engineering or space industry or, or whatsoever. I think he was something like a reporter or something. What he had, uh, or still has, is just quite a network of people. Because during writing his stories, he, of course, reached out to all these people who had something to say in the, in the space industry. So he just had a, had a very, very big network. And then he realized, okay, if I, if I just combine the dots, I can I can be the, the guy in the middle who really makes a business out of it. So, and that's when he created. I think that's more or less the story, how, how it started. Mm -hmm. So to answer the question, what do you need to, to really create a company in the space industry? Maybe just a very, very huge network <laughs> and some brilliant ideas how to combine the dots. Yeah, so this could have, I think maybe at the end, you, you really don't need a degree in, in engineering or, or whatsoever. 
but just a bold idea and people who really help you to make it come reality. So this on one end, but of course, if you look at Elon Musk, I think he's quite a genius when it comes also to engineering. So it might help if you have some some clue about the, the engineering stuff. So, and uh, I mean, your first question, how did you get to this uh, space work at all? I mean, it really helps to come from the engineering side so that you really know what, what you're doing there, what, what the hardware is, what the software does, so that, that you just know what what you're building there so because most of the business that we are talking about is at the end based on hardware i mean at the, the space hardware i mean there's now a lot of a lot of software companies an engineering degree in in either some hardware development or software development would would absolutely help and then i think there are there are just a lot of ways how to how to enter this you could either just like me apply for a thesis at, at dlr and know quite some people who did it your last guest on your podcast agnieszka she's doing her, her phd at also at the german aerospace center yes so that's, of course, one way to enter. But I mean, you could also just, if you're a decent programmer, just knock at the door of Live.io and, and say, <laughs> okay, guys, you're doing cool stuff. I would yeah. like to help you. And then, bums, just like that, you're, you're also working for a software company in the space industry. So I think it was in no point in time before it was easier to do something with space. So I think we were living in a fantastic time. Basically, everyone who would be interested could do something with, this, with space technology. What is the best way for people to contact you, be it either space enthusiasts or budding space professionals or budding entrepreneurs? I'd say really LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my number one source of information that really helped me also getting started with Constellar because you could easily reach out to people, uh, see who's in their contact list and so on and so on. On a regular basis, like two, three times a day, I'm on LinkedIn checking the news, checking what's going on. So if someone's going to reach me, then LinkedIn would be the choice. Thank you, Christian. It was, it was a great conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, Rajna, thank you very much for inviting me. It was really a pleasure. As I said, splendid way to start a new year. I would really like to wish you all the best uh, with your podcast, with your professional life, with your personal life in the next year and also in the days after. 